0: Hello, hello and welcome everyone to our next interview. I'm excited today to talk with our guest Adrian Cron because we're going to be talking about I love in the title we talk about the unpredictable nature of being an entrepreneur or that entrepreneurial journey. I know for many of you out there who watch our podcast, who listen to our podcast, who, you know, check us out on all the different platforms, you're always looking for inspiration. You're often maybe even looking for insight. And what I'm hoping we're going to talk about today is give you a little bit of, you know, a glimpse, maybe even behind the curtains of what it's like to build a business, not only that's driven in passion, but rooted in technology and rooted in the idea of health. You know, how do we build businesses that really help people not only live their best lives? but actually be able to access the tools, the resources, and in this case, the support that they need to make healthy lifestyle changes. I think as entrepreneurs at times, we're always trying to find our space. We're trying to figure out where we can fit in and where these career paths kind of align. And I'm excited, at least all the research I've done on our guest today, I'm excited to hear about Adrian's journey because I really think Adrian kind of shows that through being an entrepreneur, through building businesses, and specifically this vegan business that he's been a part of, helping us see how he kind of came up with the ideas and kept things alive during the bumpy times. Because, you know, every business has bumpy times. That's the, the measure of our growth. But also giving us maybe some wisdom around, you know, What he's learned along the way. So without further ado, I don't want to get into too much of an intro. I want to first say, welcome, welcome. Thank you, Adrian, for joining me today.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much for having me here. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Perfect. And then I'm also excited because we're going to talk about things a little bit outside of our US America bubble. I really love when we talk about entrepreneurship from different perspectives. So if you do have any questions, especially from the international European perspective, we'll definitely talk about it today. Adrian is based in Switzerland, which I'm really, really excited into diving into kind of a a business and the vegan landscape from that perspective. So maybe with that, before I jump into all my questions, I'll slow down, take a breath and maybe... Give us a little bit of background. Give us a sense of why and what was that crossroads? What made you say, okay, as an entrepreneur myself, it was time for you to build your business and why you took the leap into making it a vegan
1: business? Yeah, Um, there are two sides to to look at, actually, the vegan side and uh, uh, building a business. And the first time I came across... um, like vegan food or vegan industry was about 20 years ago when I lived in Australia and we had our first son there and uh, we were looking for a nanny. And uh, then uh, finally we found a nanny and she told us, yeah, well, um, I also cook, but I only cook vegan. <laughs> and at that time we said, Oh, well, I don't know if you like that. Um, but then we took her and it was uh-huh. perfect. It was the best food we ever had. And it's, they had kind of like a vegan style, Italian, Indian style. Mm-hmm. And together with her husband, they actually then also um, set up a restaurant later on in Australia. And it was became actually quite famous um, in that part. And we really loved the food. So that was the first time when I really came across of like vegan food. And I really appreciated it. And I understood actually vegan food is really, really good. So not only healthy, and they do get a lot of good stuff. So it is actually good. Mm-hmm. But that was the first time. And throughout my career I did quite a lot of different things. I, I worked in the industry, in pharmaceuticals, I was a management consulting, uh, consultant, and then I went back into, into the industry. But there was always a kind of like a passion to do something on my own or with friends or with, with a group to build a business. Mm-hmm. And then there was uh, the opportunity about ten years ago, there were two Technical people from the ETH in Zurich, so this technical university, very quite famous too, and they actually developed a couple of different technologies, and they were looking for someone who taking the other part, the business part, commercial part, um, helping to, to build that up. So and that's um, that how it started. We started then uh, with uh, soft capsule technology, which is also vegan, has a substantial uh, advantage on the cost side, and is vegan. And then uh, we, we started in the second business, uh, that's actually Nutri, where we had uh, developed a technology to make gummies. And the speciality about these gummies, because everybody talking about gummies, especially in the U.S., is that we do vegan gummies. And um, they have still the texture of a gelatin-based gummies. So they're still chewy, um, which mm-hmm. is very nice. And that's a preferable um, texture, especially in Europe and in other parts of the world. This technology has also a, a big advantage in terms that we produce it at room temperature. So we don't destroy anything. Um, we do not destroy the ingredients, the plants or the vitamins. So it's actually great yeah, because that's kind of what we're trying to do, to actually work ethical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what, what we started with the technology and then we raised it up Um each level going up. And then, as you said, uh, it's never a straight line. (laughs) It's a bumpy road. And yeah, that's what we did.
0: But I love the fact that you mentioned the technology, because I think for a lot of people, when they think about starting a business, they're like, you know, I just want to offer A, B and C. But there is a technological kind of aspect to it when it comes to production, when it comes to even like you mentioned, when it comes to texture. You know, and I think sometimes when we're building businesses, we don't always have the foresight or the visibility to the idea that technology can really sometimes make or break a business. Would you agree with that or agree with that perspective?
1: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, I want to make some comments on when do you start a business because oh, there are different businesses to start or which you can start. You can actually start a business and create a brand. So you Mm -hmm. you go to a contract manufacturer, get your products and build a brand and get it into the market. I think that's a certain business. What we did is actually you went to the green field and we start from scratch in terms of the technology. Then that's a much, much longer road. Um, It needs much more investments and so on, and it's probably more bumpy. And when you have the technology, then you start actually kind of with, with the second, setup of the business that's selling the product actually as, we, as you create a brand or you do private label, which is also not easy. So you have the technology part, which is difficult, but also the commercial part, which is not that easy. So technology can give you a huge advantage, but the road, I would say, is much longer to get there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I bring it up or I mention it because I think sometimes when people think they're building a business, they think they just need the brand. They just need the colors and the design and the messaging. But often what makes a business great is the layers of those components. It's the layers of, yes, the design element. It's the layers of obviously having an amazing product, but it's also the layers of how you distinguish your brand. In some ways, technology can help you Make that happen.
1: Yeah, I think what what is really important, first of all, you have to solve a real problem of your customer. If you don't solve a real problem, I don't think you're gonna make it. Unless unless um, you just spend billions of of dollars, then maybe you're gonna make it, but uh, otherwise you won't make it. So I think that's the first part, um, what you have to consider. You really have to solve a real problem. And then the other thing is you have to get it across. And I think that's sometimes quite a, a difficult part, especially when you come from a technical point of view. You always think, um, well, I have this great product. Why is not everybody is just buying it? Well, and I would say, well, you have to get it across. You have this, People have to know that and they have to know the story behind that. Because People love to hear stories and if they do not hear stories and why they should buy it and why they should solve, it, they don't buy it. So first of all, you have to uh, bring it into the world to so tell everybody. So that's already difficult because that's actually also quite expensive or can be expensive. And then you have to get a real good story that people actually think, yeah, that's actually cool. I really need that. Uh, I think that's a very, very important part next to the technology.
0: Now, one thing I'm going to, and let me know if I'm putting you on the spot for this, but you know, I, for a lot of my clients, a lot of people I support often will have this big debate about, you know, they want to build a business for everyone. You know, everyone can use my product. Everyone can benefit from it. And I often pull them back to say, you have to know your niche. You have to know who really this is for in that ideal customer. Do you have any recommendations on how people can get more comfortable with that idea and also how you tackled it when you were developing and launching your business.
1: If you want to sell to everybody, then you are absolutely a mass market. So the margin is most probably going to be zero or very, very thin, put it that way. So when you go into the niche, you probably find them people who really, really value your solution to their problem and their problem is real. So uh, that means they're going to pay much more because the the value is bigger for them. So and I think i rather have 100 customers which really value my product and pay a lot of money, put it that way, than have like 1,000 customers who don't really value it. And I really have to push them and bring out ads that they really just buy it. So I would always go for the niche, find the right niche, where you can actually create a community where they really love their product and they do their marketing for you. When you actually achieve that, then I think um, then you're on the right spot.
0: Perfect. Now, what about getting that message out? You mentioned that challenge that, you know, some of us are sitting on amazing products, amazing services, but getting it out to the world can be hard. And yes, sometimes people think they could just buy their way to success, but unless you have an unlimited checkbook, which most of us do not have, you know, we often have to get creative, you know, what's been your path or what's been one of the ways that you found success in getting that message out?
1: Well, I I think there are two ways or two points actually what to look at. Um, We do private label. So it's actually mainly B2B, um, private label. And the other thing, what is possible is that you have your own brand and to build your own brand. So I think to build your own brand, it's much harder, it takes longer, you need more resources. In terms of private label, I think it's really to get in contact with the businesses who could be interested. And I mean, when you look at today's tools which you have, for example, B2B, LinkedIn, LinkedIn, the tool is is brilliant to use that. And what I also started doing is actually follow people who have done that, like creators, and tell you how you can do it. You find it on Twitter, you find, and find it especially on LinkedIn, that this kind of playbook which you get, and then you start trying out. So, and when you do actually do that. And I think uh, sometimes you have to adapt, obviously, because you're in a different region. For example, when you take the States, work works a little bit different than, for example, in Europe, but you can still qu- learn quite a lot. And then you have to try it out and um, see what, what works and which, or, what doesn't work. But you have actually a lot of free tools which you can use. So that, and that's great nowadays.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, I love LinkedIn. I think so many business owners miss the opportunity to leverage LinkedIn to really build those partnerships and also, you know, really kind of connect with people who are in like adjacent markets that you can work with. So maybe not everyone who's listening today has a product or service that could be private labeled, but often there are partnerships that I think work for a lot of businesses And also, I think when we talk about private label, you know, I don't think all of us realize that all types of services can be private labeled. You know, you can build courses for other people. You know, there's so many things that we can do for others to build our businesses that I think people miss that as a viable kind of revenue stream.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think private label is actually quite um, interesting, and especially when you are in a regulated market. When you go to if you own brand, then you also have to risk of the regulation of things. So, when you go to private label, that's the customer has to deal with that. Um, So, it's a big advantage. Also, I like private label quite quite a lot, especially when. What we, what we experienced, we used LinkedIn quite intensively, um to get leads and it works very well and we get leads all around the world. So from a regulatory point of view, we cannot cover the whole world because I don't know what the regulation is. For example, in Indonesia, I have no idea. As a company, we don't know. So, But we still want to serve the customer, but they take care. That works with private label. Then if you would go with our own brand the story will change quite dramatically because then we have to look at the regulation. We have to uh, take care of that. So private label is actually pretty good too.
0: Yeah. I really, I hadn't necessarily thinking about that from the global standpoint of all the different regulations and all the different countries and how Mm -hmm. private label can allow you to get the product into people's hands because the, you know, in the end customer, your customer, which is really, you know, the company that's delivering it to the customer can manage those regulations based on their local footprint.
1: I think it's actually quite interesting when you look at Europe or compare Europe and state from the market say market size, maybe the same or similar, similar. but in in the States, you really have more like one market, one language. Then you go to Europe and you sell a product in Switzerland and you sell a product in Germany, they both speak German, but the regulation is different. So you have to comply with that. And then you go to France, then you have a different regulation and on top a different language. But it makes it much more complex and you really have to think about, okay, which market do I go with private label or with my own brand? And each country, is the system also uh, uh, works differently. For example, with pharmacies, that pharmacy set up when you want to sell in pharmacies, every country is different in Europe. So, I mean, just talking Europe, then we haven't covered the whole world. So, and I think that's uh, a advantage of European companies, especially Swiss, because they always, because our market is very, very small. So we, when you start a business here, you always think about the whole world, where we go next. That's what we also consider when we started employing people. Um, we always said we want to have as many as possible backgrounds not in terms of just functional backgrounds but different nationalities different cultures different views and have them from all around the world and in our company we talk english um it's like a, the main language but we talk also spanish we talk um german we talk french uh, so we have a lot of languages but when we talk to each other then we, we, we talk uh, english so this gives us a huge advantage because when we get a call on from somewhere in the world, most of the time, someone can say, "I know this region, I know this culture, I know how to behave or what to do," and this gives an advantage. That's very important. So we are, in terms of, we are agile towards the customer. We can cope with that.
0: I like that idea. Yeah, and I think, I think sometimes we forget as entrepreneurs how important it is that our team reflects. Not only the communities and the countries that we serve, but our teams allow us to give a window into a different perspective. Because sometimes, as the, the leader of the organization or the founder, or, you know, whatever those hats are that some of us wear, you know what I mean? We can sometimes only see things through our lens. And some of that is just a result of our experiences. But when you have more of that kind of diverse mix within your team, you have people who can maybe challenge some of those perspectives or take a leadership role at a certain point to represent or help ensure that the business supports the cultures and the wider community, especially a global community.
1: Yeah, actually to add on that, because I it, uh, just said, I, I, was, I was a management consultant, so I'd, I worked around the world. And it was kind of like, uh, for example, we have a project in Korea and you get down to Korea as a Swiss, then an Australian comes, a Korean, and maybe an Italian. So you put that team together. And you can imagine that the first two weeks is quite difficult because everybody has a different view and everybody is in, has a lot of energy, but the view is quite different. So you have to get along and then you have to discuss. And it takes more time in the beginning. And what I saw then is you get to a much higher level and it's much better than to put like four Swiss on this project or for Italian or whatever. So that's and I, that was a big learning from that time. And I always said when I actually build a business, I always wanted to have different nationalities, different, 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 different. <laughs> 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 to get as many views as possible and try to get them together and discuss and really bring it to the next level. And I think that's, if you do that with a, a startup, I think you can gain quite a lot.
0: Absolutely, and I think it's also a good point that you make that in the beginning it might be a little bit—I don't really- say tension—but there's a lot going on because they have that, and I think some people don't aren't always ready for the work that it takes. You know what I mean? They think that if I start with a group that's very similar, we'll all just work together and it'll be smooth. But I think, like you said, there's a there's a benefit to going through that experience together, where multiple people who have great input learn to work together.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Especially in the beginning, what I've seen is, especially when people are not used to different cultures, for example, is the communication. Communication is a big issue there, because uh, there are certain nationalities, they're kind of straight, and the other country uh, nationalities think, oh, you you can never talk there like that. That's not impossible. And the other person who was straighter, what is wrong? What did I do wrong? So, and you have to discuss that and you have to bring that up in the beginning that different nationalities behave in a different way and uh, it doesn't mean the same. So, what you say is, is something different what the other person hears. So, and that's important. That's what you have to get along in the beginning and to and address that. And then, you, and after a while, then it works very well.
0: Yeah, I definitely can see that. And I can even see that in the same country as well, because we all even come from different backgrounds. Even when I think about here in the U.S., you know, where someone talks about a style like a, you know, East Coast, New York, D.C. style, maybe a little bit different than a Midwest or Southern style, even in speed and tone. You know, I, I even joke sometimes, you know, where I love learning about language. And there's a lot of, you know, people that talk about how like in certain certain places, if you don't interrupt a person, it almost sounds like you're not actively listening. You know, if you don't go, yeah, I know what you mean. Where another person's like, "Yes, so rude. <laughs> and it's just the difference in the way we use language to communicate yeah. and support each other.
1: And I think actually also the U.S. has quite a big potential. Where, for example, when you look at the, the people that are not the U.S., the Americans, there are so many Diverse people with also different backgrounds or from nationalities or whatever. So I think that I, even if I would actually start a business in the states, I still would do this go the same route and think about okay, which niche can I serve? Maybe also different nationalities or whatever, take that part on. So I think that's quite a big opportunity too in the states.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, one thing that often comes up when people are thinking about running a business, they're really trying to understand the market. Yep. And I'd love to get your perspective on the market, whether it's from Switzerland perspective, your perspective, global perspective, but what do you think is either unique about the vegan market and what have you through, you know, their work of running a vegan business has been changing or shifting or trends that you're starting to see in the market?
1: What? Well, uh, in Switzerland, um, like vegetarian and vegan has been trendy for quite some time. We started with the soft capsule, for example, uh, many years ago, and we saw that vegetarian vegan is coming. there's just a the question is how steep is going to be. So that was what we discussed. So we said, okay, we have to do that, and that's, it is confirmed. I mean, when let's take Switzerland, more and more people, at least flexitarian. So that means that they eat, eat more and more vegan, they eat more and more vegetarian. So I think that's something which you have to consider. I and mean, when you take over the climate change and so on, there are more and more arguments why you should go this way and people consider that more and more. And now, when you, when you look at uh, the last 20 years and you go to a restaurant or get some foods, there are more and more vegan alternatives which are really, really good. So I think it is the best time to start a business a vegan business because uh, the trend is my friend it it really is so it's not going down it's going up and it's going up and it's going up it will not go down that's 100% sure and now uh, in terms of products i think um, at the end of the day you have to test with you you niche sure i say actually niche so because there you get really feedbacks and um, try to build a community where you know they really want to they want you to succeed. And when you found this niche, this community, then you're going to make it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I talk about that a lot in my training about like how to find not just your community, but also how to find buying customers. Yep. Because sometimes you can have a wider community, which is a very interesting group of people, but it's also different. The people who are going to support you in the long haul, because there's a different group of people who become regular customers and eventually become advocates for your brand.
1: I read a lot of uh, on and watch actually on startups, and what some startups actually doing is when they have like a physical product that they try to sell the product before they have it. yeah, so and I think that's an excellent idea. So have you mock up and with the tools you have nowadays, um, crowdfunding and whatever you, you use, so you, Fox I and mean, when you have like 500 people or 100 people and they are willing to pay you a certain amount for, for, uh, for a mock-up, where they say, that's a mock-up, that's gonna produce, and when I have so many, then uh, uh, I'm gonna produce, I'll let it produce. I think that's the first community. is yeah. gonna be your uh, friends and uh, they're gonna push it because they want that you succeed. Now, how to get that, I think that's probably not that easy, but also there, mm-hmm. what I think is, there are so many tools and playbooks around on LinkedIn, on Twitters, and that's something that you just then try out. And then we start with your network, and then you get the first 10, then 20, and so on. And um, yeah.
0: Yeah, and but go that's
1: from yeah, really yeah. there.
0: Yeah. And I agree because I think a lot of times when people think about their business, and I think sometimes they're you know reading other people's memoirs that they think their business should start where the person who wrote their memoir is today. (laughs) And that's not how they started their business. You know, I think it's so important, you know, to really do like a proof of concept for a brand, for a business, for a product. And not just that, because sometimes the shape of the final product might even be different and sometimes even better the more the consumer is involved. And that doesn't mean that everyone who raises their hands, you know, your product's going to just keep switching back and forth <laughs> between one idea to the other. But I do think you can really have some amazing brands when you also get comfortable with the customer kind of having like a seat at the table for making some of those decisions on how the business and the brand kind of moves forward. And I'm sure that maybe even with some of your process around moving from like, you know, soft gel caps to gummies and, and things like that?
1: Yeah, I think um, you have to talk with the customers. And also actually, take. let's go to the B2B customers. And I think also there, And um, what we did is we not only approached like the large companies, we always said we want to talk to the small companies, especially startups. And the, the, I always get a question of why do you want to go there? Because you don't want to make money there. I mean, you make the big money with the big customers and blah, blah. And, so. and I don't know. I want to go to there to them because they try out new products, they're way fast, they, they give you all the feedbacks and you learn a hell out of, of this, these customers. Yes. When you go to a big company, you don't learn anything. so put it the extreme right? mm-hmm. yeah but what I always say so I actually always visit the, the, the startups, the small companies because they first of all the, the owner actually talks to me. And he's very interested and he's proud that he succeeded something with our product. And he tells me what he succeeded and what doesn't work. So I learned really a lot. And then I can take that home and then say, okay, maybe we, the next product going to be this way or this way. Around. And I, that's, that's a big learning. I would say always try to get in a small companies also from a learning perspective as a customer.
0: And I, I agree. And they, they can create such amazing partnerships down the line because when the two of you feel like you're in it together to win, to move forward, because some of the bigger brands, it doesn't feel that way. It's just a line item. It's a spreadsheet. You know, you're, you're at that level. But some of the smaller companies, you can really build some amazing bonds and you get that collaboration. You know, you really can get some other amazing benefits from that relationship that you almost never even imagined.
1: Yeah, and it's much closer. and It's kind of almost friendships, and then you know when you actually deliver something which wasn't really perfect, so they also okay, let's discuss how we can do that, and the big companies just send all all, all the products back, or right? and they do it better next time. So we want to have the money back, and so on. that never happens with the small companies. We, we often discuss, okay, what do we better? How can we solve that and so on? And you really help each other, and that's where you really learn. And I think. Um, that's very, very important.
0: Yeah, I agree. So as usual, I've been chit-chatting and talking, having such a great time. I realize you know, that we're probably going to need to wrap up our interview soon. But before I do that, you know, if people want to learn more about your business, if people want to learn more about the journey, the product, the brand, and so forth, what's the best way to the, for them to either connect um, either with you specifically or with the, the business itself? What's the best approach?
1: Well, the easiest way is actually getting contact on LinkedIn with my name Adrian Crohn. So that's the easiest way. I'm actually also on Twitter. Um, I'm actually starting using that more and more. So it's also at Adrian Chrome. And uh, when you want to have a look at the business, uh, especially the gummy business, that's Inutri uh, Inutri.ch. Ch is for Switzerland, and Inutri is with I double N, then Nutri. There you get also a lot of information about our products as well.
0: Perfect, perfect. And you're on all the social media channels. Um, if someone looks up Inutri,
1: um, not that much because our main business is still private label. Yeah,
0: yes. So I was wondering.
1: Yeah. So the LinkedIn is, is actually important for us. So and that's what we make our business mainly.
0: Perfect. Okay. All right. Well, I'm hoping maybe some people who are thinking about going global with their brand, some people who are maybe in the European space and they're trying to maybe expand that this interview maybe will inspire them, give them a few ideas, and also maybe help them see, you know, a way forward. I think sometimes, you know, when we run a business, we can hit a lot of, you know, you know, make a right it feels like we turned down a dead end street. <laughs> and, you know, we got to do that three point turn to back up. <laughs> but I think sometimes, you know, hearing from individuals like yourself, people can feel a little bit more optimistic, they can understand that it does take time, they understand that, You know, we do hit some of those bumps in the road and so forth. So maybe as we wrap up our interview, do you want to share something that's maybe one of your biggest learning experiences? One of those things where you hit a speed bump, you hit a detour sign, you hit something and you found a way forward and you'd like to maybe help anyone else who's struggling or having some challenges themselves in their
1: business. I think you have to be, you have to know life is not a straight line. It's never a straight line. Whatever you do, it's just not a straight line. I mean, I'm I'm over 50 now, uh, (laughs) and I could never imagine what I all have done like 30 years ago. So it's never a straight line. That's the first thing. And then in terms of one learning is also how you take decision because often uh, you get asked what's the hardest decision and so on, and I try to make every decision easy. And uh, how to make it easy, I think you have to categorize the decision-making, for example, when you have a decision which is, like short-term uh, reversible, then you take can take it fast to just do it. For example, buying an office chair. I mean, you Google what is cheapest, what if it's, buy it. And if you don't like it, you get rid of it. So that's easy. When you talk then about a long-term decision which is tough to re- reverse, then it's a different story. And then I think then you have to make the respective analysis for this part. And there are tools, again, and when you have done this analysis, then you probably also want to check that with outsiders, not in terms of getting their opinion or they think, I want to ask them, have I seen everything to take the decision or do I miss anything? So I think that's important. And then you have this mm-hmm. and then from an analytical point of view, then it's actually straightforward. And the last point is, then: so how is your public feeling about that? So. And then it, that makes the, the decision taking much easier. And obviously, for a long-term, hard, uh, reversible decision, you have to also take more time. Uh, but it makes it easier. And I think that's a learning. What what I took over the years is you have to know when you can take fast decision, and you have to know when you have to take a little bit more time and have a structured way how you're going to do that.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And knowing the difference between when a decision really is a reversible one, because sometimes cool. we can put reversible ones in the long term and they really are something that we don't, and we can, That's you know,
1: cool.
0: we can put the car in reverse and we could go, you know, do it again. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for the time. Thank you so much for your ideas. Thank you so much for telling us kind of the inside scoop on your business and also being an entrepreneur. And also I just think enlightening us a little bit on the idea of private labeling as an option. I really think sometimes when we're thinking about building businesses, we always want to build this brand from scratch. You know, we think of that concept that, you know, we have to mold it and shape it and so forth. But I think helping people understand that through private label partnerships, there's really some great growth and there's some great ways to grow internationally. You know, so maybe you have built your U.S. brand or maybe you have built your Australian brand, you know, depending on where you are, but maybe the way you grow or when you're looking for that growth opportunity, private labeling might be that key.
1: Exactly. And so if you want to come to Europe, then catch up with me. So I might be able to help you actually to, to get around in Europe. So.
0: Oh, that is such a kind gesture. I really, really appreciate it. And I hope one day we get to connect. I know you were recently in the U.S., so. Hopefully maybe when I'm traveling next time we'll be able to connect in person but it was wonderful to speak with you wonderful to hear about your business and and also just great that you took the time to share all this with our audience today.
1: Yeah thank you very, very much it was really a pleasure.
0: Great. And thank you everyone who joined us even the folks who joined us live I see you and I appreciate you showing up during these sessions. I know we pop in in the middle of the day but we always love to just Give you some ideas, something to chew on, something to think about, you know, as you're, you know, thinking about your careers, launching your careers, or maybe had to make a major decision today. So maybe some of the advice that you heard from Adrian might have helped you see your way forward, as well as anyone who's listening to this on our podcast or listening to this as a replay. If you have any questions, please, please, please post them in the comments email us or reach out to our guests on LinkedIn. Be a great way for you to get not only connected, but to continue to get ideas and support along the way in your journey. So until our next interview, I will see everyone. I hope everyone has a wonderful day. And once again, thank you, Adrian, for being with us today. Thanks for listening to Pivot, our vegan business interview podcast. This is recorded as a live streaming session. So I hope you'll join us for future interviews as well. We offer these interviews to help vegan entrepreneurs stay connected with the vegan business community. If you're interested in more in-depth insights or training, please consider subscribing to one of our premium podcasts, Going Solo or Fix It. Visit veganmainstream.com to learn more or click on the links in the show notes.